You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Activate your free Assembly Call membership today at assemblycall.com slash join. That's assemblycall.com slash join. That is how you're a champion. It really is. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call. As tonight, your Indiana Hoosiers defeated Delaware State by a score of 103-56. to It was a well-balanced game, a nice return for OG Ananobi, another solid performance from Robert Johnson. We're going to cover it all here. I'm your host, Michael Dugan. I'm in tonight for Jared Morris, one of the student interns here at Assembly Call. And I'm here with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms. As usual, we're going to break it all down for you on another victorious episode. And we're going to kick it off tonight, as we usually do, with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And tonight, for me, although Priller did have a nice conclusion to the game, he got on the board, had a nice pass down low to a backdoor cutter, it's got to be, I think, to me, the single moment was Thomas Bryant's dunk toward the end of the first half because before then, to me at least, the Hoosiers started a little slow. Uh, it looked like Delaware State was kind of getting some open looks that, that I didn't really like to see, especially after coming off of a loss against Butler on a neutral site. Uh, I, I wanted to see Indiana come out with more fire, and, and I wanted to see them play angry and, and try and deny any open shots, and they lacked a little bit. And, and Bryant took off from the free throw line uh, it was a nice dunk that the crowd got into it, and that kind of started the run that propelled Indiana to this almost 50-point victory uh, in absolute dominating fashion in the second half. Um, so, so for me, that's kind of what kick-started that big run um, that, that ended with the final buzzer of the game. Um, so, yeah, tonight's banner moment again is brought to you by our friends at Hoosier Proud, an Indiana-based brand by Hoosiers for Hoosiers. Connor and the team at Hoosier Proud offer a line of t-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique and stylish way to display their own pride in being a Hoosier. Check them out over at HoosierProud.com and use the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, to receive a 15% discount on your entire order. That's promo code ASSEMBLY to receive 15% off at HoosierProud.com. All right, let's make the extra pass. Find the open man get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team. We'll start with Andy's bottoms line which is brought to us by Bracketology.fm. Andy, take it away. All right. Well, I mean, Priller getting double teamed in the post, I mean, feels like it probably could be the bottoms line uh, for maybe the first and last time ever. But I, I'm going to talk about Robert Johnson a little bit. Uh, you know, I might have been uh, – he didn't end up with 20 points as I uh, made my bold prediction for the Butler game. I might have been a game too early. But I thought today where he seemed really passive uh, at times in the Butler games outside of the beginning and the end of each half, uh, I thought today he was really assertive. Through. He did end up only two of eight from three, uh, but was five of six on two pointers, had seven rebounds, six assists, uh, two blocks even. Um, I just thought he played really well and played the way that uh, I think we lamented a little bit after the Butler game, the way that we hoped that he he would have played there, uh, really kind of stepped up and took control. Newkirk got in some foul trouble early, and I think uh, as we started thinking about roles and, and things like that on this team, 
Um, you know, I think we really, I keep feeling it coming back to, you know, we need him to really step in and, and be that point guard role and figure out a way to balance his offense, uh, and facilitating. I thought for tonight, obviously, you know, we can talk all we want about the opponent. That's certainly a factor. Uh, but I thought he did a good job of balancing that was finding the open man, um, took his shot when it was there and was just more aggressive from the field. I think Jared tweeted out at some point during the game, you know, seeing him, it shouldn't be too many games when he's outside of the top three in shot attempts on the team. And and I think I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, so I, I thought it was a really strong game for him, a good bounce back spot uh, after playing well in stretches, but not consistently uh, against Butler. I thought he played well throughout tonight, really kept up the intensity level uh, all the way through the game and, and made some nice defensive plays as well. Yeah, I agree. And I have a reaction to that, but we'll get to that after Ryan's rant. Let's kick it out to Ryan for his rant, which is brought to us by the big lead.com. Yeah, I think tonight the the big story for me was was OG Ananobi. Uh, not just you know putting up nineteen points, two assists, two steals, four blocks, and shooting nine of eleven from the field, but he just looked healthier than he did against Butler. Um, I thought early on, actually, I thought he looked real stiff on that ankle. I thought it showed up especially defensively, but it seemed once he got a little more warmed up into the game, he sort of uh, looked more comfortable. And it may not even be a pain thing; it may just be a trust, not necessarily trusting it yet after the injury. But I thought he was all over the all over the floor. Played one of his better games all around. I mean, obviously caveat for the opponent, but um, I, I think that he played one of his better all around games as a Hoosier. And uh, you know, when you see he and Thomas Bryant and 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 Jawan Morgan all working together on the interior that way, uh, you know, getting rebounds, blocking shots, you know, grabbing steals, doing things like that, you realize that Indiana may have one of the best front courts in the nation. And I think we knew that coming into the season, but when you finally see them all at least reasonably healthy playing together, I know Juwan is dealing with an injury as well. Um, when you see those guys on the floor together and playing well, you realize how hard it is going to be for teams to score on Indiana at the hoop. Um, and then you throw in guys like Deron Davis, who's just solid all the way around again tonight, and Freddie McSwain with his energy and things like that. And you really realize that when this team is going and when this team is used to each other and playing the way it can, uh, it's going to be real, real difficult to to be in there when you're a when you're an opposing player trying to score and trying to defend these guys. I agree with that, and it's tough to to have this team kind of find that point where they're really flowing. I think it's more challenging this year than it was last year. I don't think anyone can disagree with that, um, and I think that for the most part that has to do with the point guard play, and we look at Newkirk, and he's trying to find this identity as the point guard of this team, but, but Andy, like you said, to me, I mean, you guys can disagree with this. To me, I think the offense flows better, and this team looks better when Robert Johnson is kind of that guy and the offense flows through him. So first off, am I wrong on that? Is, is it better with Newkirk or, or less so with Robert Johnson? And, and if you agree or disagree, what does this say about Josh Newkirk's role with the team and how should it change, if, if at all? I think from my perspective, I mean, I would agree with you. We touched on this a little bit after the Butler game that it feels like IU's best lineup should be, uh, you know, backcourt with Blackman and Johnson and a front court that's Morgan, Ananobi, and Bryant. And it's a lineup that they haven't played a ton, mostly because all those guys have rarely been healthy, it seems like, at the same time, uh, at least for long stretches. But I definitely feel that way. I think Newkirk can still be a guy who plays um, – you know, solid minutes here. I think we saw defensively. He did a nice job on Keelan Martin. He did a great job on Joel Berry in that game. Uh, I think putting him in that role and in spurts, having him try to initiate the offense is is fine, but it seems like he's just struggling to, 
you know, kind of find himself. And I think, you know, Crean keeps talking about wanting him to play fast. I think uh, in some ways he gets going too fast and, and, you know, gets out of control. A lot of the shots in the Butler game were, were that. And so I think, um, you know, part of that is trying to get used to the system. It, you know, the flip side of that, I would say is, you know, he had the whole, while he was recovering from a knee injury, sure, but he, you know, practiced with the team last year. So you'd feel like he was a little bit further along in that kind of understanding, you know, the pace at which this team wants to play. So I think he'll still have a role. I think he can play uh, significant minutes. And I think there'll be games that he really becomes a key factor for IU. But I think at this point, um, less of him uh, is a good thing. Uh, but that also involves putting Juwan Morgan in the starting lineup uh, if they really want to play that lineup a lot. And we've kind of talked about we like him in that role coming off the bench. So it's, you know, there's give and take, um, you know, a- any way you go. I think tonight he didn't start the second half largely just because he got three fouls. So We'll see what happens with that when they really get into Big Ten play, but I would I would agree I like it when Johnson is is there because I think otherwise Johnson has a tendency to kind of get lost when he's not the guy facilitating the offense, um, but he's also you know not necessarily going to take as many shots as a, a Blackman or, or you know get the ball as much as Bryant might. So I think that seemed like he, where he kind of I, disappear is not the right word, but you know found it hard to assert himself at times against Butler because he was kind of stuck in that middle ground where he wasn't. Uh, wasn't the facilitator, but wasn't really a main scoring option either. And so at least putting him in at point guard, you know, gives him that that true responsibility and role out on the court. I'm with you. And if it, obviously it's too soon to tell, and this may have to do, you know, with matchups going down the road in Big Ten play. But Ryan, uh, do you, first of all, respond to Andy's comments. Do you agree with what he says there, you know, comparing Newkirk and Johnson and how they roll with the starting lineup? And are you more comfortable with having Morgan in that starting lineup and going more or less bigger down the road? I, you know, I think it's really going to depend on matchups and how this team starts to coalesce and and how they start to play. I, I, it's, I mean, this this team is still. I, I know it feels like it's late in the season for this to be happening, but considering what they lost leadership wise, this team is still trying to figure out its its full time identity. I think, and I don't think that's such a bad thing when you have so many young players. Um, it needs to get kicked into high gear pretty soon since the Big Ten's starting, but. Um, the one problem I have with Johnson running the point is I just think he's not used to doing it. And I think that there are times where he just forgets his responsibility at the end of the first half. There was, there was a slowdown where, you know, Crean made him slow the ball down and kind of hold the ball and then run the clock. And then he was going to attack and he waited way too long. He got a shot clock violation. And it's just, I don't think that's that he can't do it. I think he's just not used to doing it and, and not used to having the responsibility. And I think sometimes he shies away from it as well when he, uh, Newkirk is off the floor and he gives the ball up too much. You see you see James Blackman Jr. handling it a lot when those two are on the floor together. That doesn't mean that Robert can't do it. I just think that it's it's not natural to him to be possessing the ball as much as as, um, as he would need to be as, as the facilitator. So uh, as far as Juwan Morgan, ah, man, you know, I mean, he started tonight, obviously, and OG's coming off the bench with the injury, but you figure that'll flip once... OG's fully, they believe he's fully healthy. Uh, but I love, I do love having him off the bench. And this is really where they miss Colin Hartman because I think Colin Hartman could take that spot that, that Juwan Morgan would fill in that lineup. And then Morgan could come off the bench. But, uh, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens as far as that goes. I mean, I, I think I'd be fine with those, with those three within an OB Bryant and Morgan up front. I'm with you there. And Andy, you had one more thing to add? Yeah, I just think I, I agree with Ryan that it seems like Johnson is, is kind of a, a role that he might not be comfortable with. I guess my argument would be, and it's kind of too late to, to make this argument at this point in the season, but 
if you're not going to do that and and get him more comfortable in games like the one we saw tonight and in all of the cupcake games that have been there, it's kind of too late at this point. You're not going to get him to do that in Nebraska. So as we start to think about, you know, scheduling in these games and things like that, like that would these these games and games like tonight would have been the perfect opportunity to get him more comfortable there. Um, but that's kind of water under the bridge at this point because only one more of these left. Yeah, and I, I've we got something to talk about there. Um, so so we're going to transition from from small to big here. Uh, but first, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or a concert because everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and most importantly money. Best of all, our listeners over at Assembly Call get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase and here's how you get that. Download the SeatGeek app. It's free. No reason not to. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code assembly, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Again, download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code assembly right now. You're listening to the Assembly Call Post Game Show. I am Michael Dugan in for Jared Morris tonight. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we're discussing Indiana's win Big win over Delaware State. And we were just kind of talking about Robert Johnson versus Josh Newkirk um, and how they kind of flow with the offense and who works this offense better and how does this offense flow better with with either of those guys at the helm. Um, but transitioning from small to big, and, and Ryan, I know you've had some things to say about this, um, and it's something that I've looked to, especially in these, these more or less cupcake games, especially after a big game against Butler, is feeding Thomas Bryant down low. And we saw him come a long way last year. Everybody knows that. Um, and he was ready to be the leader, I thought, this year. And, and to me, first possession tonight, they went to Thomas Bryant down low. I liked that. But then I felt like it kind of it, it veered off a little bit. And James Blackman got hot from beyond the arc. You know, let him shoot if he's hot. Um, but, but to me, I, I don't understand, and it's kind of getting on my nerves a little bit, that, that after these games, after Fort Wayne where they didn't really feed Thomas Bryant, and, and after Butler – uh, that they rebound, and you would think against a team like Delaware State that's you know three and nine headed into Assembly Hall with a very low RPI, that this is a perfect opportunity to improve, especially with Louisville right around the corner and these Big Ten games right around the corner, a perfect opportunity to improve on on what's been kind of lacking. And to me, I, I think the number one concern is the lack of attention that Thomas Bryant is getting offensively. I don't think they're feeding him enough, and. You know, you guys can react to this. Do you think that that this offense flourishes better if they feed him more often, or, or if they keep doing what they're doing? I mean, obviously it worked tonight, but there's no Delaware State's in the Big Ten. Um, so, Ryan, you could take this one first. Yeah, I, here's the thing with 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 Bryant. I mean, tonight, 14 points, six rebounds, four assists, five of six from the field, two steals, a block. I mean, that's a great night in college basketball. But I, I agree with you. There's not a whole lot of back to the basket. Uh, post touches for him, partially because teams are taking that away. Butler did a great job of taking that away on on uh, Saturday. I mean, kudos to them; they did a great job taking that away. And I think when you're playing these cupcakes, they're overplaying Brian in the post, which is leaving other guys open. So you're not going to get easy post touches when there's a guy 
10 feet away wide open for a shot. So I think that's been part of the problem. I do agree they need to be more aggressive getting the ball. And, and I've said this on other shows, Thomas needs to be more selfish. I mean, he's, he's, he's a great teammate uh, by all accounts. He's a very much a team first guy and he's willing to distribute. If he gets the ball, if he's one-on-one and he doesn't feel he has a perfect opportunity to hoop, he's kicking it out to somebody else, get somebody else an opportunity. And he, you saw it with four assists tonight. Um, he needs to be more selfish and, and he needs to get the ball when he gets it on the block, when he gets it inside, he needs to look to score because I think that that is his other than, than his, he's a phenomenal rebounder, but I think scoring in the paint, getting opponents, big men in foul trouble, things like that. He's going to need to do in the big 10 and he's going to need to battle those guys down low in the big 10. And uh, I, I think he's got to get into a mode where he's going to be more aggressive. Uh, we saw against North Carolina, they really singled him up in the post a lot, and he was able to to beat Kennedy Meeks and the other guys, uh, you know, quite regularly uh, when he was singled on them. And and I think a lot of Big Ten teams are going to try and single him as well, just because there's a lot of good big men in the Big Ten and they don't want to double too hard. So you're gonna get opportunities if you're Thomas Bryant. He's got to take advantage of them. And and I I would agree with you. I think they need to give him the ball more often, whether it's on the perimeter for a drive or whether it's back to the basket post touches. I, he's got to get more involved. And real quick, uh, before Andy, before we toss this to you, this was a matchup where Delaware State's their tallest guy, their starting center, stands at six nine. I mean, this is not by any means a guy that that is physically superior to Thomas Bryant. I mean, obviously you're not going to feed him if he's getting doubled, but I feel like in a matchup like this against an inferior opponent where he's got the size advantage, especially coming after a loss, this is a good opportunity to feed him. Uh, but Andy, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. Justin Albers put something out today about the the Butler game and talked about how Bryant did a lot of his damage in the first half against Nate Fowler, a guy in Butler who you know not as big, but when he was even facing guys like Weidman and uh, and Travis who are not as tall but a little bit more physical, um, that he struggled a little bit more. And and so, uh, I you know this definitely was was something I was looking for IU to do tonight. And it's one of those things where I think you know the first few three pointers fall and. Uh, then everybody just is like, well, this is just what we're gonna, what we're gonna. We all know that IU wants to shoot threes. Um, and, and I, you know, I think it, it's it's silly to come and say, well, they shouldn't do that because that just is part of you know their identity at this point. Uh, it, it is definitely a struggle though for that because I think then there's gonna be times when they want, need to try to like turn it on and say, yeah, now we won't really want to get him the ball as as they kind of did in that Butler game. They've had some success there, but just needs to be to me a more regular part of what they're doing. I know uh, Brian Tonsoni. Uh, our uh, our longtime friend here, you know, tweeted something at halftime where they really only had like kind of five post entries uh, there, and I don't know if he he charted that in the second half as well, but um, just not a concerted effort to do that. And in games like this, you don't need to have a concerted effort to do that because it was just so easy to score wherever they wanted. I mean, coming in, Delaware State I think was you know sub three hundred and two point defense, so not a lot of size. Gave up a ton of offensive rebounds uh, coming in, gave up you know a number of those tonight, and so it's like you know you can get points on putbacks and things like that. He made some nice plays around the floor, but would like to, you know, get a feel for that because where they are using him and giving him the ball a lot is in these high-low situations, which he did again tonight, had a couple really nice passes inside. So I think that's a positive thing. They continue to have him be kind of the, the high man in that situation, uh, which is interesting, but I think part of that is he can step out and, and make jumpers as he did uh, at times tonight. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, we got one more of these left to, to look at a, a situation like that, and hopefully they can do a little bit more to, to get him some post touches, some true post touches uh, against Austin P.
Yeah, I mean, let's be fair though. Uh, Indiana shot sixty six point seven percent from the field. Something that I mean, that's ridiculous. not good enough. No, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were getting such good looks. It's got to be hard, and regardless of what your assignment is, it's got to be hard to pass up good looks like that. Um, and and, and you know, Tom Crane's not going to tell him to pass up good looks like that. He's going to tell him, I, I don't care what the the game plan is. If you're wide open from three, you're taking a shot. So uh, I think that you were right, Andy. They kind of fell into that pattern of. Oh well, I've got a wide open three. I'm going to take it early on, and that kind of, you know, I mean, what they hit like four out of their first five, and then they wound up with like eight in the first half or something like that. I, something ridiculous, uh, you know. So it was, it, it was just, e- it was all coming so easily that I don't think they were going to try and slow the momentum and and throw it in. And and you're right, I think they went away from that. But uh, at the same time, you know, you can't fault them for taking wide open shots. Yeah, and, and another guy that came alive in the second half, as you talked about, Andy, was OG. And obviously, we didn't love what we saw from him against Butler. He played 26 minutes. Obviously, that ankle, not quite 100%, but his production was not quite there. Tonight was a different story. He had four blocks, a lot of them great, almost a double-double. He had 19-9, and nine, so it's nice to see him back. Um, he was a nice spark off the bench. Uh, obviously, this is not going to be a trend, I don't think. Um, need him in that starting lineup. Um, but he was a nice spark off the bench to come to, to come out and and kind of turn this team around. Because like I touched on earlier, I felt like they were lacking at the beginning. Um, and again, that bothered me. I felt like that's happened a couple times against these cupcake teams at home. And we can get into this later. Um, but I just feel like against these cupcake teams, I, I just don't. It's And I may be driving myself crazy with too high of expectations. Uh, but I, I personally feel like they're not, like I said earlier, trying to improve on the things that they struggled against, you know, coming off a Fort Wayne loss or coming off a Butler loss. Those next games, while they did take it out on their opponents, to me, the bigger picture is, is trying to, to, to finally tune these things like feeding Thomas Bryant or not settling for threes or making the extra pass, uh, you know, if you're James Blackman or whoever. Um, so, so to me, it was just one of those nights where it's a great win, not really resume building in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, but there's obviously much to improve on going forward, especially with Louisville right down the road. Um, and tonight, Robert Johnson, I'm looking at this box score. He took 14 shots. That was the most on the team. I personally, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, and I'm okay with him kind of running this offense and having it flow through him. Uh, but I'd, I'm not comfortable with him taking the most shots. And Blackman was aggressive. Um, but it seems as though this team, without Newkirk kind of finding his role and finding a solid role, obviously it's tough to compare him to Yogi last year, but Yogi knew his role. Um, and, and I don't know if Newkirk does yet, and I don't know if the team knows Newkirk's role. So how exactly, if anything, should this team kind of approach this? Because it's going to be tough to figure that out against these cupcake teams until uh, until Louisville and then the Big Ten Conference. So how how should the Hoosiers try and figure this out? Because to me, this is not going to work going down the road against Purdue's and, and the Wisconsin's of the world. Yeah, I, I think... You know, I'll be interested to see if if on the heels of this, when you know OG played well... Uh, you know, Morgan, you know, it sounds like he's been a little bit banged up. I was actually kind of surprised to see him come back in. It seemed like when he didn't start at the beginning of the second half, I, I wondered if he would just sit the whole time. Uh, you know, but it, it seems like it might be a chance you come out against Austin P and do you start, you know, those five that we talked about earlier and kind of see what happens and play Newkirk in, in spurts off the bench. And if he gets going well, then you leave him in. And if he doesn't, then then you kind of you, you can pull him back out. I, I thought, you know, Curtis Jones and Devontae Green had some good moments tonight. I think that gives you some. Uh, additional options in the backcourt, but I think it's clear at this point they're not going to turn completely away uh, from Newkirk. So it, it's it's just a matter of trying to 
you know, kind of build his confidence a little bit. And I think doing that in shorter spurts, uh, letting him, you know, I don't know how well he would do coming off the bench, but is he a guy who who would perform well kind of watching the flow of the game and really trying to pick up where he can come in and take advantage of things the other team's trying to do? And I think I, th- I think some of it's quite honestly a confidence thing. I mean, you saw him tonight. He hit he, you know, finally made a shot, hit a three, comes right down in possession or two later and, and makes a nice driving layup. And so I think uh, if they can find ways to to play him in spurts, get him some confidence, maybe that helps uh, a little bit as they go forward. But uh, I guess that would be the only thing I can think about. Ryan, I don't know if you've got any other uh, other ideas on that, but that would be my take is is kind of build him back up slowly. Well, I think that and and on the broadcast they were talking about this that that um, Crean had said uh, about. Um, McRoberts that he needs to he needs to believe that he belongs here and I think that's the same with with Newkirk I think that Newkirk maybe you know he, these kids they hear what fans are saying they know fans are a little disappointed in how he's been playing they want other guys to get those minutes and things like that they, I mean it's hard to block that out they have to but it's hard to um, but I think just like McRoberts he needs to understand that he he belongs and he can we've seen in stretches that he can be an excellent player for this team and he fits what this team wants to do he's fast he's athletic he's strong he can defend as well as anybody on this team when he's focused uh like we saw against North Carolina shutting down Joel Berry we saw him against Butler shutting down Keelan Martin I mean he can be a valuable member of this team. He's got to believe that though and he's got to have the confidence in his shot the confidence in his drive and and driving ability I'm sorry and and the confidence in just his overall you know talent level that he is on this level and and if he's if he can't get there then you're right they're going to have to move him out of the starting lineup they're going to have to bring him in, in in spurts and things like that because you know the Big 10 is not a place where there's a learning curve I mean you might get a pretty easy game against Nebraska but then you've got Louisville and then you're right into the teeth of the Big 10 schedule so um I think he's just a guy who's got it. It's got it. The light has to go on at some point for him, or you got to move away from him. And and um, I, I think it can. He's a smart kid. Everybody raves about his leadership ability and all that stuff. And you know, it's just actually translating onto the court needs to happen. It needs to happen soon for this team. Yeah, and there are a couple guys there that that can be factored in and 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 filtered in when we when when they adjust the lineup. And one of those guys that's caught my eye throughout the season and Ryan I know you're high on him too is Curtis Jones should we be seeing more of him especially with you know the new Kirk Johnson dilemma I guess more or less uh should we be seeing more of Curtis Jones you know he got 19 minutes tonight uh I I was surprised it was that much um I, I think that's a lot uh but the the problem with Curtis that you're seeing is that in some games he'll come out and be fantastic especially on defense just the aggressive nature uh, you see his athleticism, and, I, and I've said this on these shows before. Every once in a while, it feels like he's still growing into his athleticism. Like he almost doesn't know how athletic he is, and he's still trying to figure it out. And sometimes that gets him out of control when he's running and things and, and driving the ball. Um, but you'll have games where he'll go over five from the field, turn the ball over a few times, and just look completely out of it. And and one of my friends asked me about that, like, what's wrong with him? And I'm like, well, he's a freshman. That's what's wrong with him. I mean, you know, th- like that's expected from a freshman having a bad shot or having a bad possession is expected. Um, so I think that it's hard to rely on him too much right now, much like it was with OG and Jawan Morgan last year, early in the season, you've got to kind of let him get his legs under him. And, and I know this preseason is, is uh, you know, these games, the, the pre-conference schedule, non-conference schedule is where you're supposed to do that. And I think, you know, he and Devonte green and, uh, 
Deron Davis have all gotten solid minutes throughout this entire stretch. I mean, they were playing against Kansas. So, you know, they are getting that experience. Um, I just think it's going to take a little bit more. I mean, Curtis Jones is not a starter right now. There's no way he's a starter right now. Um, and, and I would like to see him in the 12-minute range right about now if they're playing a good opponent, you know, 10 to 12 minutes. Uh, and and I think that you build from there. But again, you know, these guys are, no matter how talented they are and how solid they are, they are still freshmen. Other than Deron Davis, who I think plays like he's 35, um, I think that uh, other than those than him, I think the rest of the guys are still trying to figure it out, still trying to, you know, find their level. They'll have good nights, they'll have bad nights, and finally they'll they'll sort of settle in. But um, yeah, I just I think that you know it's tough to it's tough to put too much on these guys too early. And you mentioned Deron Davis, and it's funny I wanted to touch on that. He to me of the newcomers, he has been by far the most impressive in my eyes. Just the way that he attacks the rim physically when he gets the ball down low. And earlier you said, you know, these, these teams, they come in and they double-team Bryant and they deny ball in the post, you know, when he's down there and the ball's at the top of the key. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but throughout the season, I have not seen much, if any, of, the, of Davis and Bryant on the floor at the same time. Is they, have, a, they have been Occasionally, occasionally. Yeah. Uh, um, but, and obviously it's not a long-term solution, but – you know, against a, a Michigan State or a Michigan or, a, you know, a tight game in the in the Big Ten, uh, no matter the opponent really, is that, do you think that could be a possible solution? Obviously not a long-term solution, but I think it's worth a shot. I want to see what they can do on the floor together because they can dominate that paint. Yeah, I think against a Purdue, it would actually be a great move. Um, and you could put Brian out on the perimeter, pull one of their big men away from the post and then let Davis work on the interior or vice versa. But I think that that Brian is much better on the perimeter than Davis. So that pulls one of their big rebounders away from the basket. It also opens up driving lanes when you don't have two shot blockers in there. Um, so I think that you will see that more. And I think that, you know, there, there was a stretch, I, f- I forget which game it was, but where they were both on the floor for about five minutes together and it looked great. You know, um, Davis is just such a solid all around player right now. Um, and he's going to become, I think, an excellent player. But right now, he's at the point where he doesn't do anything wrong, really. I mean, he'll make a mistake here and there, but in general, he's just solid. He's smart. He's always in the right place. And and I think that he's a guy who, um, as the season continues to go on, they're going to rely on a lot more. And they're going to have to because Brian will get in foul trouble one night or, or whatever. But And I don't think there's a huge drop-off. I mean, Bryant's talent level is higher. But I think that as far as production level, Duran Davis can be that guy uh, in short order. I don't think he's there now, but he can be. So I think the two of them, you will see them together more, especially when we face bigger lineups in in the Big Ten. Um, but you got to also remember that Morgan and Ann and Obi are big and long and athletic and strong as well. So they can mix in there as well. So it's a good four guys that can that can really bang around in that post, uh, in, uh, in big 10 play. Yeah, I actually was trying to look this up, although I'm a little bit uh, slow in updating some of these lineups, but at least through the Southeast Missouri state game. So that wouldn't include Houston Baptist, wouldn't include Butler and, and obviously wouldn't include tonight. Um, those guys had played together about 35 minutes, which was more than I would have guessed, uh, that it was, but they actually are in a couple of the, the, the better, uh, lineups combined, uh, there. And I think an overall, um, those groups are, uh, they are plus, we're plus 28 through those games um, when those two guys were on the court. So there's a few of these w- that are 
not extended minutes um, by any means where, you know, they play together, you know, 28 seconds at a time, 36 seconds at a time. So some of those hard to take too much from that, but the ones that they've played extended minutes in, uh, and I think one of those is one, the one that, uh, one that Ryan was referring to where they did play together quite a bit um, in, in a couple of different situations have been pretty good. So uh, I think that'll be match specific. I think it's a good thing to be able to have that those guys can play well together. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, Bryant seems to be comfortable uh, in the high-low actions when he's the guy uh, up toward the top and, and being able to feed the post. And I think Davis does a really good job of of really trying to seal people, and I think part of that is because at this point, that's kind of who he is uh, versus Bryant, who I think perhaps in his mind is trying to balance uh, all the all the different things that you you know that he can do and trying to play inside and outside a little bit. Um, Davis just, you know, that's what he is right now is a, you know, offensive rebound putbacks, uh, get in the lane, be able to, you know, receive the, a pass from somebody else and, and make shots and, and play with his back to the basket. So, uh, I think maybe it's a little bit easier for him to settle in, uh, in that position, just because that's what he's most comfortable doing, uh, at this stage of his development. I think eventually we'll see him while maybe not taking three pointers. I think we'll see him with a little bit more of a face up, uh, you know, jump shot in, in his game but for right now that's kind of what he is and and makes it easier for him to balance uh posting up versus other things because that's just that's just what he's doing yeah i agree with all those and we'll see what happens going forward with those guys but i personally would like to see them on the floor a little bit uh, at the same time going forward especially against purdue ryan i completely agree i think that that's a matchup waiting for that to happen uh so coming up andy i think we're going to toss it to you um, give a little preview on what's going on down the road for IU, not just in the immediate future, but a little bit down the road in the distant future uh, in the next couple of weeks. But first, I want to take a quick minute and tell you why you should activate your free assembly call membership today. Three quick reasons. One, it's quick and easy. No reason not to. Go to assemblycall.com slash join. It'll take you 15 seconds. Two, it's how you get our best content. By joining, you will receive our weekly six banner Saturday IU Hoops News Roundup as well as our detailed post-game analysis emails. And three, it's how you connect with us in the Assembly Call community. Only members can access our moderated post-game live and discussion forum. If you like what you hear on the Assembly Call, becoming a member is the logical next step. Join us for com- completely for free at assemblycall.com join. All right, welcome back to the Assembly Call. Uh, we're here talking. I use big win over Delaware State. I'm Michael Dugan. I'm in tonight for Jared Morris. I'm joined by Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, we're, we've been dissecting this win a little bit and kind of what we like, what we don't like, uh, and what we saw tonight in the route. Uh, but we got to look ahead because that Big Ten schedule uh, is not too far away. And Nebraska's down the road right before Louisville. Uh, and in between that, that game tonight and, and that Nebraska game, the Hoosiers host Austin P. So, Andy, we'll toss it to you. Uh, tell us what we need to know about either of both of those opponents before we hit Louisville on the road. Well, Austin P is probably – the game's going to look a lot like tonight. I, I have not seen them play this season, but they're projected uh, right around the same place in the Ohio Valley as Southeast Missouri State and um, SIU Edwardsville, who IU played back-to-back a couple weeks ago. So – not a lot to like there. I'm looking now on uh, Ken Palm. They are 340th in defensive efficiency, which is not a great matchup against a team like IU. Uh, they rank sub 300 in uh, effective field goal percentage defense, in turnover rate. I guess they're right at 300 there, at least right now, and in uh, defensive rebounding. So the only thing they do well is keep opponents off the line. So th- that one should be another uh, another pretty ugly game, I would guess. Uh, Nebraska played played well early in the season or better than I thought they would 
uh, beat Dayton in, uh, I forget what the preseason tournament they were in was, maybe the Advocare uh, Invitational. Uh, they beat them by two points, but since so they started 4-0. Since then, they've lost uh, six of their last seven, including uh, Sunday uh, to Gardner-Webb, which prompted Tim Miles to, I believe, take a hiatus from Twitter uh, I believe I saw earlier today. So that's uh, that guy really likes to get on Twitter, even you know during games at halftime. So things are uh, things are serious there. I, I just think they really, you know, they've got a, a decent defense. They just really struggle offensively. They don't have a lot of guys that can score. Uh, Andrew White was a late grad transfer, went to Syracuse, uh, really put them in a bit of a hole offensively because they lost him and Siobhan Shields at that point. So just not a lot there. I mean, their shooting percentages are pretty ugly. Uh, are going to be solid defensively and try to kind of muck things up in that regard and and can do a good job, but they just don't have a lot of consistent offensive options. So uh, should be, you know, a reasonably winnable uh, home opener for IU. looks like right now on Ken Palm, they're a 91% uh, favorite to win. So should be okay there to be able to, you know, get off to a, a good start in the Big Ten. Problem, as we've talked about before, is, you know, they've got all these home games, which is in some ways great to start off the, uh, the Big Ten schedule. Uh, in some ways not because the students won't be back. And so you've got, you know, three three uh, Big Ten home games right out of the gate. Uh, and, and so, you know, have to take advantage. Certainly a game IU can't afford to lose as they, you know, embark on Big Ten play and one that they should win. Absolutely. And obviously that's teeing up for that big matchup against Louisville and then Wisconsin, not too far down the road there. But guys, before we before we look forward, we got to look back to look forward. Talk about the defense a little bit. I know we didn't love the effort against Butler. And Butler was a team that does not rebound that well. And Indiana, while, while they won the rebounding battle, they let Butler kind of hang around, and that, that was a matchup that Josh and I on the Hoosier Life were talking about, that Indiana should absolutely dominate, not, get any, not give Butler any second chances, and dominate the defensive glass. And it was a better effort tonight. Um, but what did you guys see that changed or anything that concerned you? Obviously, it's you know, an, an odd sample coming against Delaware State, but any improvements or, or digressions from that Butler game or something that you're, that you're you know, looking forward to going forward for these next couple of weeks when the, when the season ramps up? I, th- I thought the rim protection was better. I don't know about you, Andy. I, I think that early on, sometimes in these games against lower tier teams, you sort of get a little back and forth going. Uh, the team that comes in with a, the opponent comes in with a lot of adrenaline, pumps it up, you know. Um, and Indiana gave up 30 points in the first half, 26 in the second half. But uh, Delaware State was shooting the lights out early, as was Indiana. And then, you know, finished the game shooting 33.3%, 27.3% from three. Um, you know, Neither team turned the ball over at a crazy rate, 12 for Delaware State, 11 for Indiana. So I thought that Indiana controlled the tempo, uh, and, and really it's hard for anybody to keep up with Indiana when they're they're playing at that tempo. And and I, they mentioned it on the broadcast, and they said Delaware State's going to wear down. They can't play like this all game, and that's what happened. In the second half, they just you know, they, they couldn't match it. And so I think that Indiana defensively kept the pressure up. I thought early they gave away some wide open threes. James Blackwood Jr. was late to close out on a few of them. Um, made some silly overplays that got layups. But again, you kind of expect that in these games early on against these lower tier opponents. Guys just aren't as focused for whatever reason. And that isn't, you know, exclusive to Indiana. It happens everywhere. It's just, it's hard to get up and get focused for games against lower tier opponents that you're supposed to blow out. So, um, I think that, uh, I think that I saw some improvements. I saw guys, you know, defending, um, I saw them defend more as a team tonight, uh, as opposed to just guys 
playing one-on-one basketball. Uh, I saw a lot of help, but without overhelping. Um, I think the problem in the Butler game wasn't necessarily the defense. It was that they let Butler get comfortable. And when you're as big and as long as an af- athletic as Indiana is, you can't let teams get comfortable because you you lose that angle. And and Butler, you know, to their credit, took advantage and and made a lot of great made a lot of tough shots and and you know just kept the pressure on Indiana as well. You know, I thought it felt a little bit like the Butler game initially that they seemed to really come out keyed up defensively and then that waned a little bit and then they picked it back up in the second half. Like you said, I think one thing we did see was, you know, Crean really imploring them to pick up further down the court. They pressed a little bit. Um, I don't know that it was overly effective, but in some ways it was almost... That was actually a disaster, <laughs> like the two yeah. or three times they did it. So. Yeah, I love the one time when like, they initially, like something bad had happened. And it's like, oh, let's come out and press. And the guy just drives like uh, unmolested straight toward the basket, like 60 feet. Yeah, so there were certainly times that wasn't good. I think part of that is just to try to keep them engaged on the end of the floor. So in that regard, I didn't mind it and, and just in terms of getting them to do that. But I, you did see some of those things where guys are almost, you know, overplaying and get beat, you know, on a, a backdoor play here and there as, as happened a couple of times against Butler. We you know, fouled two three-point shooters. Uh, in the first half, you know, guys kind of getting overly aggressive on closeouts and, and kind of got sucked inside. I'm not really sure why on the Devontae Green one, you know, they really weren't fully doubling anybody. Uh, and then he, you know, lunges he's a, he's back a, out at the guy. As I said before, he, he's a freshman. That's a freshman yes. thing. I mean, it's yeah. totally a freshman thing to do. So, yeah, so we saw, I think, so we saw a couple of those things, which I think were, uh, you know, questions where you've got guys just trying to kind of overcompensate for what they're doing. And I think, you know, Crispin mentioned this before. At some point, just stop the guy in front of you. Focus on those things, and uh, I think things will get better defensively. So I, you saw moments, um, but I think it's hard to take a lot away. Um, you know, certainly really held them down. You know, pretty effectively in the second half, even when the reserves played a bit more. But uh, the game had kind of devolved at that point into uh, not not an, a legitimate basketball game <laughs> in certain. Well, they also went full spots. zone. They also went full zone at that point for like six or seven minutes. I mean, they're never going to do that in uh, in Big Ten play. I think that was just because guys who were on the floor who hadn't played together a whole lot, and they just said, "All right, let's just run zone," and you know, everybody kind of take an area. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, saw some positive things. Not saying everything is uh, is fixed and 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 perfect, but I don't think you saw, you know, a team like Delaware State's not going to be able to execute what they want to do in the same way that a Butler is. So a little bit tough to get a, a full read on it, but a, a few good things, a few bad things. Yeah, and I want to talk about that for a little bit because Ryan, you mentioned how hard it is to get motivated for these RPI sub two fifty opponents, and I know it's a topic of discussion in Bloomington, and you know the IU faithful doesn't love. This, this non-conference home slate. Obviously, we got North Carolina, but then you back that up with an Austin P and a Delaware State. Uh, I, I'm personally, I think it's time. I think we need to replace these Austin P's and Delaware States with an Ohio, you know, not necessarily specifically in Ohio, but a team like an Ohio, you know, or an Auburn, a team that plays in a real conference against very competitive teams, um, but not necessarily a top 25 team. Because to me, it's, it's so hard to improve after, after a loss against Butler or a loss at Fort Wayne or, for example, a loss against North Carolina, it's hard to improve after those losses against a team that has an RPA that starts with a three. So, it, it, you know, to me, I think it's time. I think, you know, obviously this is not a discussion that is going to change anything, but I think it's time that we need to replace some of these sub-250 teams with teams that are in the top, you know, 80. Because, you know, the teams that Indiana should win, and they're not necessarily resume boosters, uh, but they're teams that can help them improve down the road. Well, uh, the issue with that is you have to make sure they're home games because 
that's where the athletic department makes money is having all these home games. I mean, you know, all these games are selling out, they're selling concessions They're you know, I mean, these are, there's a reason they have all these home games on the roster and, you know, one true road game at IPFW. We know how that turned out. So, um, no, I think I, I'm not against that at all. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, defend not or playing sub 300 teams, but it's also difficult to get a team from a major conference like an Auburn to come up to Indiana and not do a reverse home date there because obviously they know that's going to pack a place if a top 25 Indiana team comes in. Um, so you want to have the home game for the revenue, and that's that's what happens. And and a lot of these teams are teams that. Coach Crean or Fred Glass have relationships with. That's why you play these teams. It's it, it's rarely just random phone calls. I mean, um, you know, so it, that has a lot to do with it. And and I agree that the, the schedule should be more difficult. Um, I think adding Louisville was a great move. Um, I think everybody supports that, uh, especially in lieu of you know Kentucky and John Calipari continuing to run scared. Um, but. Sorry, I had to get my shot in there. Um, but I, I think it's 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 not as easy it's 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 easier said than done to to get those teams on your schedule. Uh, I would agree that it should be an effort made to get some MAC teams or you know whatever. Um, but at the same time, I would say uh, you know you could schedule a team sometimes. Uh, two years down the road and they wind up being terrible when you play them two years from there, you know, cause a lot of those teams turn around and are, are, are great for a year, make a tournament run and then disappear for a couple years and then come back and are good again. And, you know, so it, it's, it's a matter of developing the relationships where you can consistently get solid programs to come into assembly hall uh, and, and who want to come into assembly hall as well. And, and, you know, play what they might view as a pretty likely loss. So, um, I agree. I, I, Andy has more thoughts on this, I'm sure, but um, you know, it's it's as you just said in the chat. I have thoughts on this. Uh, I think it's, uh, but but and he definitely has, you know, is is an advocate of a better schedule. I think. Well, I think that to me, it, you don't need to necessarily overcorrect and 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 get too many you know major conference teams. I mean, I think we'd all like to see that. I think fancy are paying what they're paying for season tickets would love to see that, and I think that's a, a fair argument i think the the problem becomes that just playing this many of the worst teams so i think the argument can be made well everybody does this and yeah you can point to a game or two on on most you know high major team schedules that are like this but not eight like i use gonna have uh you know this year maybe seven I, I forget what the number is you know i look tonight just to see are any of these teams projected to finish even above 500 in their league and i think only one of them was and that was liberty at 10 and 8 now this is using you know pomeroy rankings at this point but you know, a lot of these teams are not projected to be good. And while Ryan is right to a certain extent that there are some of these teams that kind of ebb and flow, uh, I think I looked at one in one of the shows we did in the preseason that most of these teams have been consistently terrible that, that are on here. So there may be a few here and there. Austin P's one, you know, they kind of made a run, got to the tournament last year, um, and they're not expected to be very good this year. And, and that's, that's fair. Sometimes those things happen. Um, I think it's just trying to figure out, like, how do you not play the worst of the worst? Because... I look today, and of the ones that they've played already, all but Houston Baptist is outside of the top 200 in the RPI already, and that's only going to get worse. Uh, and Houston Baptist will get there uh, as they start playing Southland teams. And and so it's how do you find the teams in the middle? Play teams in the 100s around the 150. So if you if you look there, just looking on Pomeroy right now, you know there's there's conferences like the the you know the Colonial uh, that tends to have some pretty good teams. Uh, Asked Michigan State about that after last night uh, in Northeastern. Um, you've got, you know, the Southern conference who Liberty is in, uh, the Sun Belt, 
um, is out there. The America East tends to have some mostly decent teams. UMass Lowell not being one of them. Uh, you play an Ivy League school. Do you play, you know, other teams in the Summit League, the Horizon League? Um, you're not necessarily like you don't have to play the best team from each one of these leagues. But a lot of these, a lot of these other conferences are fairly consistent in in who finishes in the upper half. You're going to have a hard time predicting who's going to win them, but you you should be right more often than not if you're trying to say, hey, I'm going to pick a handful of leagues that I think are solid middle of the road leagues. And I feel like I can look at history and do a pretty good job of figuring out who's going to finish in the top half of those. Um, and, and so I think that's an area where you start. And then at that point, do you start to get to a point where you get more max schools on the schedule? Um, you get more, you know, you know, an A-10 team, an American conference team, you know, those kinds of people on the schedule, or do you, you know, ascend and try to play, Hey, I'm going to try to, you know, play Valparaiso or something who is consistently at the top of the horizon league. Maybe, maybe you do. I don't really know. The problem is not that you're playing teams that you can beat easily. It's that you're playing teams that you can beat easily by 40. Um, and I think that's really where the problem is. And, and, you know, to limit that to, you know, three or four of those games, instead of seven or eight, uh, would go a long way uh, as you do that. And I think it's, you know, there's plenty of people who have been out there gaming the RPI for a while. Uh, conferences have had people come in who have been involved in the selection committee before, uh, most recently the Pac-12 and the SEC. So th- there's there's resources available if you need to figure out how to do this uh, that I think they can make some definite improvements. Yeah, and just to clarify, I'm not saying eliminate every Austin P and every Delaware State on the schedule and replace them with an Ohio. I'm saying replace one or two of them. And obviously, like Ryan, like you said, adding Louisville was a great thing and playing Kansas was a great thing. Um, and they're going to have a great opponent in the ACC Challenge every year. Um, but, you know, you look at a Kansas and they're playing teams. They play Stanford. Uh, that's a top 50 RPI team. UNC Asheville, that's a top 50. SEC, they play Georgia. That's a top 75. Davidson, you know, these are respectable opponents that have a good RPI ranking. And I'm not saying to make every other game that out of conference, but, I mean, replace some of these because how can your team really improve if you lose to a team like Butler and you, and you top that off with Austin P and Delaware State? So I think to scatter one or two more respectable opponents and replace that the, a couple of sub-250, even sub-300 opponents, I think there's no place in that for the schedule outside of the month of November. So uh, after this ad read, we are going to go to kind of give our, I guess, almost end of non-conference portion of the schedule report cards on how, how we feel about this team, who we think this team is, their identity, you know, what speaks more highly of them, their losses to, to Fort Wayne and Butler or their wins to Kansas and UNC, you know, which is more important to us. Um, and then after that, we're going to discuss that and then give our last call. But before that, one more quick reminder, a great way to support the assembly call is by ordering your official assembly call t-shirt from HoosierProud.com. Go to HoosierProud.com and check out their selection of unique and stylish apparel that anyone with Indiana roots will absolutely love. And do not forget to use the promo code assembly for 15% off. That works for our assembly call logo t-shirts and anything else that you buy on HoosierProud.com. Head there right now. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. I'm Michael Dugan in tonight for Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. We're dis- we're, we just dissected, rather, Indiana's win against Delaware State. And now we're going to kind of go more broad, dissect what we've learned about this team um, and, and what we think is going to happen going forward, kind of evaluate what we've seen so far. So, Ryan, I guess I'll toss this to you first. What way, What speaks more of this team? Their two losses or, or their two big wins? What kind of highlights their resume right now? 
I think it has to be the two big wins. I think the the win over Kansas, I think you can forgive Kansas for, and you could have forgiven Indiana for because first game of the season, you know, it was a high scoring. It was almost like a pickup game. You know, uh, it was great and it was a great win. And Indiana showed a lot of grit and particularly the freshmen really impressed by, by sticking into it uh, late by getting put into the game late and, and, you know, sticking with the the game plan and, and pulling out a victory. Uh, but that North Carolina game was, was impressive. I mean, that was, you know, against one of the best teams in the country and, you know, to pretty much own that game from start to finish, it was sure it was a nine point win, but it felt like Indiana was in control of that game the entire way. And I just get the feeling that when this team plays an opponent like that and plays a good team, it, they tend to play up to the competition and even above the competition. Whereas I think sometimes when you, you get a Fort Wayne, uh, it, it, this has been a you know, pattern with Tom Crean, by the way, uh, with Tom Crean's teams is that they sort of play down. And, and if you look at the way they came out, I mean, look, Butler shot the lights out, played well. Indiana struggled offensively uh, for a long stretch in the, in the first half with some foul trouble as well. And then the second half, I thought Indiana outplayed Butler, but Butler was able to counterpunch and answer at all those spots. So I think the second half of that Butler game and that North Carolina game is who this team is and who this team's going to be. It's just a matter of putting it all together consistently. I don't know. How, how do you feel about it, Andy? Well, I think, you know, Kareem mentioned this after the Butler game and talked about, it sounded like kind of a familiar refrain. We've heard this before. We talked about, you know, the game against Butler kind of opening up some old wounds. Uh, you know, and he, and he kind of used a statement he made before that the team really seemed to, you know, for the second time, you know, gained their defensive intensity from how, let their offensive game dictate how they played on defense. And I think we saw that, uh, you know, multiple times over, over the years. And, and, when the transition really happened for last year's team, it felt like it was the opposite that they got that. And we saw a little bit of that tonight. I think one of the things, you know, OG coming in, you know, blocked a lot of shots. So that, that kind of energized everybody uh, and, and helped out a little bit. So I think that that is definitely a factor, it, you know, in terms of who this team is, I think, uh, you know, there is a, a recipe, if you will, um, to, to make IU uncomfortable, you know, I, and I think we saw that with both Butler and Fort Wayne, where they had a, a defined game plan matchups that they wanted to try to take advantage and uh, advantage of, and they really didn't deviate from that. And nothing IU did really forced them to deviate from that and, and made them uncomfortable. So, uh, you know, those teams did that really well. I think IU was able to do the same thing, though, to North Carolina. I think they made them play in a way that they didn't want to, and uh, and, and that's a positive sign. It's it's interesting because uh, I listened to pretty much as many college basketball podcasts as there are around, and so listened to a couple today. Uh, you know, Sam Vecini was one. He writes for Sporting News, and uh, has a podcast out called Game Theory, and he was on, you know, talking with somebody from SB Nation about, you know, the the weekend's games, and and interesting to hear a non IU centric perspective where you know the Butler loss didn't worry anybody, uh, versus you know Jared and I stayed on even after we were done a little bit with the show before, and it's like yeah, this just feels too familiar, and so good to get a little bit of more of a, a national perspective uh, compared to those of us who are you know kind of living and dying with this in in a, in a little bit different way. That while the Butler loss is disappointing, it, it's not the end of the world um may or may not you know signal you know some, some bad things to come for this team but i i do think there's, there's definitely flaws in this team um that the right teams are able to expose uh and that's proven itself out but as ryan said i think they've also proven they can play with just about anybody so uh you know they've got a, a pretty a pretty high ceiling and potentially a pretty low floor depending on who they're playing so uh, hopefully we get a, a little bit better read on it as we get into big 10 play because i'm not sure that i have a, a defined answer at this point of, of where they fall 
Yeah, Andy, I agree with you 100%. And I think that after that Kansas game, that, that the fans had such high expectations. And, you know, James Blackman's return from injury in that game, you know, was ridiculous. And, you know, we saw guys like Robert Johnson. He didn't miss a beat. Thomas Bryant played well. You know, OG played pretty well. Um, so, you know, starting there and then obviously after North Carolina, you know, people were through the roof. They're like, okay, this team's great. But you look at that roster and half of the names were not wearing cream and crimson last year. So this is a team that, you know, there's not a lot of chemistry there. And obviously you look at their big wins, North Carolina and Kansas, those are great. Two of the best wins that anyone's gotten this year. Uh, and then you look at a loss like Fort Wayne, which is one of the worst losses that anyone's had this year. And Butler was, was just frustrating because of how they lost that game, digging themselves a hole that they couldn't really climb out of. So like you said, their their floor is low, but their ceiling is definitely high. And, you know, you can't argue their two wins that they got. They earned those wins. They outplayed both teams. Um, they outplayed North Carolina wire to wire, and they outplayed Kansas for the majority of that game. And they, they, they played gritty, and they won that game. So it's a mix of both. And it's going to take a lot of growing. I think this team is far from its potential. And, you know, if you look at this outing tonight, that's saying a lot. But – this team is far from, from reaching its potential, and I, I'm curious to see if they ever reach it because, again, there's a lot of young guys. There's a ton of new guys, um, and there's some, some lack of identity, especially at the point guard position. So we'll see how they mold going forward. Um, as of now, I'm not too worried, but there's a lot of developing to do, and we're in the middle of December, and Big Ten play is just a couple weeks away. So they've got some growing to do, but there, there are some inferior opponents in the conference where they can do that, and they've, they have potential to get wins over anyone in the conference. So I'm not too worried at this point. Um, and I would say their wins speak more of who they are, and their losses bring out their flaws, to, to, to answer the question. All right, so it's time for last call. Uh, Ryan, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think uh... – this season has been interesting. Uh, it's it sort of felt like the preseason and and uh, you know everything after Hoosier hysteria was building up to the Kansas game. Uh, you know that went well. Then there was a stretch of games that was clearly building up to the North Carolina game. For the most part, that went well, except for a little trip to Fort Wayne that we don't like to talk about. And then uh, the next stretch of games was building up to Butler. Uh, and Indiana lost that game. And it feels like this stretch here is building up to that Louisville game on New Year's Eve. Um, and again, it, it, with the loss to Butler, you really feel like you want this team to beat Louisville to sort of get back on the footing of playing a nationally ranked team and, 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 and be on the right side of the ledger. Um, so hopefully this, you know, with everybody getting healthy, this is, you know, Tonight was a first step to sort of building towards that game, and then you get Austin P, and then you get Nebraska, and then you go and you play Louisville, and you, you mix it up with them. So I, I think this is sort of the next step, uh, the start of the next step for Indiana's season. And after Louisville, it's right into the teeth of the Big Ten schedule. So hopefully this is the first step towards you know a build-up to that Louisville game that will be successful. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I you know I think we struggled to find – uh, you know, too much to say about some of these games other than trying to put it in the bigger picture as Ryan did. So I think that's a good way to think of it. I, I think if, you know, one, one other statistical thing that stood out, and I think Jared tweeted this out from the, uh, the assembly call account later in the game that it might've been the, I think the fourth straight game where the turnover percentage was less than 20, it was 16.2 uh, tonight. So again, not facing an elite defensive team by any means, but I thought by and large the team took good care of the basketball. Uh, we know that's going to be certainly important in that Louisville game, important for them going forward. And, uh, you know, hopefully they continue to get that that sorted out from the point guard perspective. So just another another positive sign overall. 
Uh, a lot of guys played well. A lot of guys got to play. I think 11 guys played at least nine minutes, uh, which is what you want in a game like this. Uh, Thomas Bryant registered an impressive uh, plus 42 in the plus minus, which I think is the highest anybody's had on the team this year. So, uh, you know, I thought he had a, a solid game, even though he might not have as many post touches as we liked. And uh, a lot of guys played well, as as you would expect in a game like this. So took care of business. And most importantly for this team, nobody got hurt. So uh, I think that's about all you take away from a game like this. And another one coming up get through uh, all but one of the, the non-conference games and you got that Louisville one coming up, which is really the big one. And, uh, you know, get the guys get the guys through that stretch healthy and get ready for the Big Ten. Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. And this is a game where, given the outcome, how everything went down, it's exactly what you could have wanted. No one got hurt. Guys played well. OG came back. He looks to be close to 100% if he's not there already. Uh, Thomas Bryant played well. James Blackman continued his leadership. Um, and, you know, they, there were no new question marks that came up against a far inferior opponent. And that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest positive right there is that there are no new negatives. And, you know, you can look as pretty as you want against a Delaware state, but you know, when it comes down to it, you got to look pretty against the Louisville. And like you said, that's what this game and these types of games are leading up to. And they've got two more before that. And, and some, obviously some things to work on. We definitely hit on those. Um, but yeah, I mean, they got exactly what they needed to out of this game. They played well, they've got their confidence back. Um, and they've, again, they've got things to work on before that Louisville game, but they're rolling now, uh, and they've got a, a sure win against Austin P. knock on wood, um, and then a below-average Big Ten opponent in Nebraska. Um, so we'll see how they handle those. Um, but again, yeah, this was just another stepping stone in that path to that Louisville game. Uh, so that'll do it for us tonight. Be sure to join us next time after Indiana's next game. That's on Thursday, the 22nd, at 8 p.m. Eastern versus Austin P. and that one is on BTN+. Plus. Until then, keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.